Welcome back to Chunky Glasses, the podcast. This is episode number 55. We are sort of picking up steam on these things, trying to going to try to do maybe two a week, I think, if we can. Uh, up front on Tuesdays, we're going to do album discussions because that's when all the albums come out. And then on Thursdays, uh, we're going to try to put out all our interviews. So uh, they'll be a little shorter, uh, but uh, a little better, actually. <laughs> um, and you can pick and choose what you want to listen to. If you want to hear his ramble, you listen on Tuesdays. If you want to hear... Uh, some pretty good interviews so far. You listen on Thursdays. So for this episode, um, way back around the time of South by Southwest uh, this year, I reached out to Washington Post pop critic Chris Richards about coming up to the Rock Cave. And there was a little while where either I was busy or he was busy. It just wasn't – it just weren't working it out. But finally a couple weeks ago we made it work. And he came up to the house, and we sat down with him. And I think uh, it's probably one of my favorite conversations that we've had so far on the podcast not only did we talk about his work at The Post and what it means to be a critic for a publication of that stature, but we got into a lot of cool stuff about the reemerging DC scene, the state of music criticism in general these days, and I, and I really I couldn't let him get out of here without talking about his now infamous review of Arcade Fire's Reflector. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm going to get out of your way so you can hear from Washington Post pop critic and DC native uh, Chris Richards, and uh, we'll see you after the interview. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man Nearly a two-word review just a shit sandwich. That right there he is a wonderful power. Yeah. It's it is nonstop, and then yeah. we've just been listening to it. That was, uh, I was actually trying to set up an interview with him that day, but he, I guess, was traveling by himself, so he mm. was just like hanging out. So we can either uh, actually, actually can either talk about that. Like sure. Sturgill we can Simpson. talk about whatever you want, man. Sturgill Simpson uh, being sure. being a critic for the Washington Post, yeah, sure, or whatnot, whatever. Yeah, all right. Well, you get the uh, small questions like out of the way first. Yeah, <laughs> like, sure. Uh, like, what do you what do you see as the state of music criticism today? <laughs> wow. uh, that's a big question, and I, th- I guess I would feel like the s- state of music criticism. It, it seems to me like critics are a little too interested in themselves and each other. To yeah. me, <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot of talk right now. I, I feels like every you know the in the past couple months, every three or four weeks, an essay comes out about mm-hmm. the state of music journalism and all this kind of hand wringing about you know. Are we including enough people? You know, are yeah, we yeah, yeah. in this post-rockist utopia that we all deserve, where we're giving Miley Cyrus a fair shake and all this stuff? And um, I just wonder if that serves readers the best. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like it's just music writers writing to other music writers a lot of times. Not in every case, and of course, I'm talking about a bazillion different people here in different cases. Sure. But like, I think 
the one thing I have noticed or I just have a hunch about is that I think music writers have um, lost the connection with their audience Mm -hmm. and their audience through social media has become each other, you know, or so it seems anyway. Yeah. I mean, there's the, the hyper, uh, uh, literalization of of like like the pitchfork effect essentially, and, and you write these like huge essays, which is which can be good, mm-hmm. um, and but these huge essays that maybe don't need to exist, um, and and like coupling that uh, with so many outlets. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're sure. with the post, oh, of course, of course, you're with the post. So that's li- but you know that's like uh, not again not like a pitchfork, you know, but it is like a legitimate outlet. Sure, 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 <laughs> and and. Going down from that, it seems to like spread out to like like online music magazines, blogs, and stuff. And it's it's just well, I do think I mean almost with like I don't even believe in or I don't want to adhere to the idea that like brand names are the only legitimate names. Oh I yeah, think, yeah, yeah, I think no. I think tons of like you know ground level bloggers mm-hmm. doing it you know in their spare time are absolutely legitimate in terms of their voice and their ideas, yeah, yeah. which is great. I just think. The thing that bothers me is it seems like there's just a lot of music writing about music writing, mm-hmm. and that's and then who is that serving? Just other music writers, from my perspective, anyway. I would love to see all of this stuff put into action. And I guess if it makes music criticism better in the long run, then I'm all for it. But yeah, like, yeah. I just can't imagine really being compelled to. I don't want to talk out of turn here because I might do it someday. But right, <laughs> right, right. writing like writing about music writing is right. interesting. We want to write about music, and I'm very. But the thing is too about this, maybe why that's confounding to me is i realize how lucky i am because i know who my readership is right. i know that like right. the end, you know i hope that things go out on social media i hope that people yeah pick up my stories and share them with each other on yeah. facebook and stuff but at the end of the day i also have the comfort of knowing that what i write lands on doorsteps in the city where i was born and that's a yeah. huge comfort to me uh that i know a lot of other music writers don't have so so, so you're dc native i am like, yeah, yeah. nice yeah, very nice yeah, yeah. I, I grew up in maryland but oh, no. i was yeah, born same, here in dc yeah, same, same, here the, DMV. the dmv the dmv as the kids as, say these days yep. yeah um yeah i mean that is i mean i think do you think that like that has the the writing about the writing about music you th- you think that's sort of arisen due to uh, the, I guess, the content of of what's coming out. I mean, why, why, how, what, how would you speculate on that? I think, like, like I was trying to say before, I think maybe some of it, if I just had to have a conjecture, is that writers don't know who their audience is, and sometimes the most enthusiastic, most enthusiastic audience you're going to find in mm-hmm. the social media realm are other music writers. <laughs> so well, I think that's the idea that like you can have that kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. interaction. But um, in terms of like. That's that, but that's the part that befuddles me because there's more music out there than ever, and but, there's so and, many more rocks to turn over. And, and that's sort of what I, what I was getting at is that there is so much more music. I mean, it is a never-ending like flood of music, yeah. which is beautiful, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it can be horrific. Absolutely, it's, <laughs> it's overwhelming. And I think the role of a critic, you know, it used to be this thing where. You know, before the digital era, you needed a music writer to tell you if an album was good or yeah. not, so you could decide if you were going to go to the store yeah. and plunk down seventeen ninety nine for it on yeah. CD. You know, um, now everybody can hear everything right away. So I feel like the value of music criticism is more in um, kind of being a lighthouse in that mm-hmm. giant fog and saying, "Hey, over here, check this out," or "Hey, ignore that," and you're kind of trying to steer people toward the good stuff and away from the bad stuff. I think that's really a great value. And maybe that's maybe what some of these like writing about music writing essays that we've seen are about, you know, writers trying to figure out how to be a better lighthouse to the, to those readers. Yeah. I mean, do you think that you can be completely like objective in that? Um, 
Well, I think everyone has to just, you know, adhere to their own taste yeah. to some degree and do the best job that they can. And I think the writers who gain the most, or the music critics who gain the most trust are the ones with the most Catholic taste and the ones who yeah. can help you hear something in a new way, you know, can yeah. help you understand a genre that you've never been able to tap into before. So I think the, the more vast vocabulary you have as a, as a critic, right, the better right. you're going to be at the gig. Right. And, and you're like sort of all over the map. Um, in what you like write about now, and which is cool because yeah, you can thanks. like do stuff. Uh, you you can speak intelligently about like Lady Gaga, um, and then just go straight into some go go music and stuff. Which sure. is uh, thank you. Which actually now knowing that you grew up here, that makes sense. I was like, yeah, man, he's that's awesome. That he's in the go go, yeah, as, yeah, as much because it's fantastic. But I, I was just trying to figure out like where that was coming from. And sure, stuff. yeah, I grew up hearing it on the radio. My dad yeah. worked at a carpet store in Adelphi, Maryland. So I'd go there on the weekends when I was a kid, and all mm. these guys listened to it in the store was go-go music. So I've been listening to it since I was a little – even though it wasn't not in the go-go as a kid, I was definitely right, right. hearing it on the weekends. But it was all around. And then, like, yeah, and then uh, did, you, did you see the uh, Chuck Brown thing on the mall? This is like a year before he died, I think. I, I saw him perform – you know what? No, I take that back. It was Rare Essence on the National Mall. I, did, do you remember when Smithsonian Folkways did uh, the um, Folklife Festival and it was celebrating Washington, D.C.? Uh -huh. It was probably – 1999, yeah, 2000, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fugazi played, uh -huh. Rare Essence played, and I think Chuck played. That's yeah. the last time I saw Chuck on the mall. I didn't yeah. see him the year yeah, He, he played right in front of the Capitol, and it was just... Oh, that's cool. It was um, being able to walk, because uh, I've only been living here for, well, actually a little while now, six, seven years, mm -hmm. um, and uh, I do consider like DC home, and, and part of it, it was because of actually that event. Like being able to walk up through Capitol Hill and see like all the people of DC come out. That's yeah. For for this is Very something special. that, um, you know, people a lot of times will say DC doesn't have like a, a specific identity, but it, it most certainly does. Oh, absolutely. And that's absolutely. it. And, it and and it was just like seeing everybody just dancing, smiling, uh, seeing Chuck yeah. doing the same. It's, yeah. it's, it's it's like oh. Okay. He definitely brought like the I, city together in a really I, important way. I get way. DC now. Yeah. Cool. And then, and that is now that that that's like an older scene, and there's now a, a newer scene uh, rising up in DC. Uh, you have any like perspective? Of, like, like to me, it seems a little scattershot, like all over the place, which I think can be good, or, or maybe you know it could also be bad. Are we talking about in terms of go-go, or just all just all all, all, all young music so, so, being made so, in DC? So the. Not growing up in D.C., D.C. was the hardcore yeah, sure. thing. When I came to D.C., I was shocked to find that people still wanted it to be the hardcore thing because that seems that it would uh, sort of evolve out. You know, you always have that history. Now uh, there seems to be this huge um, – there's, there's Moombaton. Mm -hmm. um, there's uh, huge like synth bands and stuff mm -hmm. uh, and a little bit of punk stuff, but it's it's – it is all over the map. Um, do you see any like cohesive thing in that scene that is drawing that together, or is it just the fact that it's a transitive community? We've got people from all over doing all kinds of crazy things. I think part of it is what you're talking about—the idea of, of DC being a transitional place mm -hmm. where people come to live here. Um, but a lot of people I find, young people that are making music, have some kind of background here. They grew up in the area and moved, you know, from the suburbs into the city, or they grew up in the city, or maybe they went to college here. Um, is there a coherent thread that goes through Bounce Beat Go-Go and, you know, Future Times Records kind of dance music and 
punk hardcore like priests or a rapper like shy glizzy i don't know Mm -hmm. i don't think so i don't think there is and i think part of that if i had to conjecture just spitballing from your couch right here is the internet probably has something to do with it to some degree i do feel like each of those little micro scenes has a really intimate relationship inside of its own little yeah, circuit yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what i mean but um but i don't know if there's a connection and maybe there never was too there's kind of this idea of um you know uh this i don't want to say it's like a false history but there's this notion that the punk and the go-go scenes were connected somehow in the 80s that was mm-hmm. like really like once in a blue moon did a go-go band and a hardcore band play together i, right. I think like um there was this uh art exhibition at the Corcoran Museum last year mm-hmm. called Pump Me Up, which is a great exhibition about DC in the 80s yeah, yeah. and the hardcore scene and the go-go scene. Um, and it did note that the intersections were there. I hope people didn't walk out of that thinking like, oh, yeah, hand in hand. Like, yeah. Trouble <laughs> Funk was definitely going to check out Minor Threat at the 930 Club. Yeah, exactly. It was exactly. not like that. Yeah, it was yeah. very, like, you know, kind of lightning strikes situations. Um, so in that sense, I just think, like, yes, there are little micro-communities mm-hmm. here, and there's more of them, really. It's maybe not... They're not as widely recognized or nationally recognized right. as the as the hardcore, the classic hardcore mm-hmm. '80s and '90s scene was recognized. Um, but that could be changing too. I think a lot of people are really excited about a lot of artists that come from here. I mean, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, future seems very bright right now for Washington music. I think. I think, yeah. I think. I think it'll be interesting to see like how. Um, I think people have a need to land on a sound and mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, there was a recent article about. Um, uh, the the pitchfork review of, of uh, deleted scenes record mm-hmm. like trashing them and you know what sort of whatever you know it is what it is but it, it also seemed on on that side of it that they were trying to be like you know DC is this whole thing and right. it's still there's still a fractured thing to it I mean I I, I have noticed the uh, the house show scene in DC is I mean that's going on all over the country and has been mm-hmm. forever uh, but it's particularly thriving like here I mean within I think like two miles. There's three venues, like venues in uh, quotes, right? Podcast right. quotes, basements, and which yeah, host yeah, um, rock and roll that, that are around that are housing some uh, really good shows. And mm-hmm. I know like Alex at Paper House is doing a lot mm-hmm. of good stuff there. Um, so it's interesting to see, for me at least, all these people like supporting each other. And then, um, I mean, because we've got great venues here. We've got like nine thirty clubs. That's true. It's we've fantastic. Got, like, I mean, yeah. that's. Like it's a very good ecosystem we have in Washington D.C. Yeah, sure. um, and to have that going around, like on at the same time, I think is is honestly whether or not the output is great or not is super healthy. I think good music stems from having a place for it to be performed. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you have an idea that you can get this on stage at the Black Hat, you know, yeah, it might put a little more of a fire under you to to make it happen. Yeah. Um, I think that's true of everything. I mean, in the hip hop scene, you've definitely seen it with like the success of someone like Wale. Mm -hmm. Like there are rappers just coming out of the woodwork like crazy in this town right now because there's been a template for success. You know, someone's like someone can do it. Someone Someone can do it. it. So it just happens. Um, So I think as long as there's like lots of example setting, that'd be great. The thing about local scenes, it's interesting. I, I just wonder if we live like in a like a post local. Mm-hmm. data world now you know or digital landscape now where um you know people don't i think people get excited about artists and they don't seem to get excited about cities the way that they did in the 90s um in the in the early audies as well but i guess it's hard to say do you, do you it's think hard it's to a tell bad from thing? Out, i mean i don't know it's hard to tell from out i mean i think there's no there's no way we're ever going to get back to the way it was we live in a digital no. world where no. you can hear music around the clock. I do love the idea of 
a tight knit community that is kind of making music for itself mm-hmm. in essence i used to play in bands in my 20s and like when we closed our eyes or at least from my perspective when i closed my eyes and imagined the audience of like who is going to listen to this music mm-hmm. i imagined myself playing it at the black cat for like the hardcore scene you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. like and i think that can be helpful to some folks um but of course it's great to dream bigger too and imagine someone in japan's really gonna dig it you yeah, know what yeah. no, regardless of genre so um it's just a, it's a changing time but the thing is that's really interesting is that like yes we don't have this nationally recognized punk thing that we had in the 90s but um i think there's just a tremendous amount of music and a much more diverse mm-hmm. array of it right now and that's very exciting to yeah me. you could go out right now and see like 10 shows tonight sure uh, absolutely. To- totally different bands yep. which is uh not uh i mean a lot of people like are down dc saying the stuff doesn't happen it's happening in non-traditional venues, traditional mm-hmm. venues and stuff, and that's pretty cool. Yep. Um, to circle back a little yeah. to, uh, I guess, your role as a critic, mm-hmm. uh, two, <laughs> for very much the same reasons, two of my favorite pieces that you've written, one of them uh, was your Guns N' Roses piece, which was absolutely uh, spot on. Thanks. The other one uh, was your Arcade Fire piece, which... You sort of gained a little infamy for my two biggest body slams. Well, I mean, <laughs> I I don't see them, uh, and I sort of wanted to hear your perspective. Like personally, I don't see them as body slams as much as, um, I get a realistic take on it. If, sure. if that makes sense. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, they were. I mean, it was it was my record. You, Go ahead. You, you Sorry. like you can't like the Guns N' Roses thing. You can't call that any other way. Then then that's what happened. Like, sure. it, and if that happened, then like, that's your job to report on that. Sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Um, and same thing with the, with the arcade fire, like my view on it, and, and when I read it, I, I, I was just like, oh shit. Like, because it, it mirrored the absurdity of the PR push and the reaction of everybody who really loved it. Um, but was actually like, had very good points about the music itself instead of, oh my God, arcade fire. And I mean, I, you know, I've got like, I like Arcade Fire. I yeah. hated that fucking album. Yeah. I'll just right, put right. it out there. Right. But like, so when you were writing it, were you, or either of those, I mean, when you're doing something like that, is it a strictly reporting? Like, do you, I guess, what, what mindset do you get in for that? Well, those two are very unique pieces and I don't write them very often because mm-hmm. they were very harsh criticisms. And I think part of it is if you're going to be a downer, try to make it a good time yeah. you know what I mean if you have to go through the pain <laughs> of experiencing yeah, yeah, this yeah, try to make it enjoyable for someone else so I tried to make them funny yeah um, the Guns N' Roses review first of all we're talking about a concert they performed at the Fillmore I guess it was like almost two years, yeah, two two years, years ago at this point yeah. um, you know and it's Axel and the guys you know yeah. some dudes that, seem, that he seemingly picked up at Stinson, Guitar Center but, you know what I mean yeah, yeah right right um, and I just was like insulted by it you know what I mean yeah. it was so bad and unmusical and uh, it just, it just, I just felt like as someone, if you can't, you can't play those songs. Like those songs are like, <laughs> they're really, they're like almost sacred. They're sacred right, rock right, songs. Right, right, You're going to get right. up there and play them like that and like do this horrible peacocking kind of like lifeless pantomime of them. I was insulted as a fan, yeah. as a fan of theirs and a guy who, you know, loves rock and roll music and loves those records. I yeah. was just so... 
I was insulted. So that, so then I take I took on a tone of an irritated tone. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah. And then you try, and then also too, rather than just sounding like a total grouch, you try to find something funny to say because at least you can maybe amuse yeah, your yeah, readers yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, along the way while trying to point out why it's horrible. I think being amusing, I never want to be cute, and I probably get I probably end up being a little too cute sometimes mm-hmm. but i do feel like you want to give your reader something that is fun to read it's music you know what i mean yeah, like it's I, fun to talk about i try to talk about music the way i talk about it at a party that's usually like what i do when right. i get stumped uh if i'm just staring at the computer screen and the cursor is blinking at me and i'm looking into the void and wondering you know why i was even put on this earth i just try to th- I, I just rewind and say mm-hmm. how would i explain this to my friends at a party um and that's what I did with the Guns N' Roses rec- uh, review, I would have told my friends that it was horrible and tried yeah. to make them laugh. So that's what I did. Particularly uh, the hostage crisis. Yeah, right, I mean, right, right. But so, uh, but I've seen I've seen them back in the uh, in their heyday, and it, it was that. I mean, people at this Roanoke Civic Center, mm-hmm. um, it was like the Use Your Illusion tour, and Blind Melon went on at eight thirty, and Guns N' Roses went on at one. Yeah. Now, granted, <laughs> <laughs> granted, it was the actual Guns N' Roses. Yeah, sure. You got the real thing. Uh, but it was, uh, it it was a trial. <laughs> sure. To be sure. 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 There was a punk band called Blonde Redhead that used to do that. Yeah. They used to wait forever to go on, uh, and I loved them, so I'd always wait. You yeah. Know, no problem. Of it course, was not a problem. And you kind of felt like you were being put on a little bit, but it's like whatever. I'll wait for this. It's great. Right. Um, but yeah, and then the Arcade Fire review, that was just sort of like me lashing out against the lockstep praise that had been lavished upon them, mm. as well as lashing out at the record that I found like profoundly unimaginative. Yeah. Um, I felt like I kept, I got more response to that review than ever. And all my emails that I, I mean, I responded to almost every, I actually respond to every reader email that I get. Oh, nice. And in all of them, I kind of said, like, the reason I took this tone on. Everyone's like, it was very mean-spirited of you. And I said, well, I had to take that tone to kind of shout over the noise, like shout over the praise that just washes over them from all directions. Mm-hmm. I felt like I really had to say, hey, um, and raise my voice. So that was my tactic for that. Yeah. And I, I, think I do it, not regret it. No, you shouldn't. All. I mean, you, I think you punched through that is important. And I, it's hilarious. We actually did uh, a podcast just on that oh, and, won, and won, some, <laughs> won some weird award from Stitcher. Oh, really? No shit. It was cool. like the number four podcast of the year for oh, music. That's great, man. And it was because Madeline, who was our intern at the time, uh-huh. y- you could hear her heart breaking because she loved them so oh, much. Yeah. Well, that, that's fine. You can still love a band. I, I agree. Work, and that's what we came, that's what what we came down about. on. Yeah. But, you know, so we were, we were talking about this specifically, and she had gone up to New York to see some of the shows and didn't get in. And mm-hmm. there's all this, like, you know, she's you know, 21. Sure. Like, really bought into the hype and, and is in a place sure. to do all that. Um, and then when it actually hit her ears and she was just sure. not as thrilled as she could have been. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's important. I think that when you, like, it can't always be good. No, of cheer, course cheer, not. Cheerleading is great. It definitely is not always good. <laughs> and I mean, I, I personally, I think people, I respect people a lot more point that out. And I think people should point it out a lot more. I think there's a lot of stuff, um, that gets, uh, not a, not a pass, but with a less scrutinous eye. You know, it's it's looked mm-hmm. on. You know, mm-hmm. just because of who they are. Sure. You know, so they can do something. But if you remove that name and that brand from it, and then put that out there, you know, I, I, people might not be listening to it. I would agree with. In the case <laughs> which, of this album, I would absolutely agree. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is, you know, I mean, you know, like well, pop music is it's popular, and if it's something that's not good, it shouldn't necessarily 
reached the popular thing. Sure. That's know. part of like the lighthouse thing too. I'm not I know that I cannot end the arcade fire's career oh, with yeah. my yeah. with my keystrokes. I have no hope whatsoever. Yeah. But the one thing I can try to do is say, Hey, leave that alone. Come over here and check out this other stuff. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And that's what I hope people take away from it at the end of the day. Not that I'm some angry, mean-spirited guy who's trying to hurt their feelings or anything. Such a dick, Which is not the case. Uh, It was just like, yo, put that down and come check out this all this other good stuff over here. There's only so much good stuff in this world, you know? Yeah. Now, now speaking of being a lighthouse, you've been um, uh, sort of illuminating a lot of country acts. Uh, Is that just something that you have found yourself as a love of, or is it like an assignment basis? Like, No, I mean, I don't... Because you went to Nashville, I right? I did go to Nashville in November. I don't really get assignments. I pretty much oh, write nice. my own ticket. I pretty nice. much – I mean sometimes they'll say, hey, we'd love for you to write about Beyonce flubbing the Star Spangled Banner or lip syncing the Star Spangled Banner at the inauguration. Like we really should have an essay on that. You right. Know? Um, which I would be happy to do anyway. You know? yeah, I probably yeah, yeah. would have came to them 20 minutes later if they had asked. But for the most part, I pretty much uh, decide what I'm going to review, who I'm going to profile almost – completely which is great it's a really wonderful freedom that i have there's never anything dutiful so a lot of times people will approach me and be like oh so sucks that you had to go to that miley cyrus concert no that was absolutely (laughs) my choice everything is my choice nice um which is great in terms of country music um i've always liked it my dad played a little bit for me when i was a kid Mm -hmm. uh as i went through my punk rock years i rejected it because so much of music in our adolescence is about identity and i was very much you know this tough punk rock or wannabe tough punk rock kid who right. couldn't like country and then actually in my 20s i really disliked the vibe of it because so much country music to me i heard it as music about being satisfied mm-hmm. and those were such unsatisfying years to me you know your 20s are those years where you're hungry yeah, and you yeah, want adventure yeah. and you want the unknown and you want to smash the man you yeah know? um and it just did not speak to me in any way now maybe i'm a little more yeah. and I I, <laughs> I, I I would say that was probably like late 80s or stuff and this is like the, I'm, I'm, I'm 34 so this is like uh, little, okay this, yeah. is, this is like this, so is actually, like the, this is like 1999 2000 that kind of it was very slick era for country yeah, music, yeah, yeah. you know um but like kind of coming out like the post garth brooks era i just thought like oh this is really plastic and mm-hmm. stupid um, and then of course well, well, was. things changed, you know, around the time I was like 25, 26, 27, I started listening to country music again a lot more seriously. Um, probably because there was just some good stuff that caught my ear. There was a record, one of the turning point records for me anyway, was, uh, by the singer, Julie Roberts, who was kind of doing like a classic, you know, yeah. heartbreak yeah. kind of, um, heartbreak honky tonk kind of stuff and that really plunged me back into it and then anyway so getting back to your question why am i covering so much yeah. of it now i think it's a really vibrant time for the music there are yeah. some great storytellers with amazing voices who are kind of finding new ways to dig into this timeless material and make it seem fresh and they wear it really well so part of me going to nashville i don't cover the cma awards in nashville yeah. every year but i did go this year because it seemed like there was sort of a change in the mood in nashville especially because the charts and the radio and um, record sales were just dominated by men kind of singing these party songs. But a lot of the really, really great stuff were women. was written by women singing yeah. about really deeply personal um, like, kind of struggles. So I thought, this is interesting. Let's go down there and see if this takes any kind of shape at the awards the, itself. The, like the Casey Musgraves album mm-hmm. is, yeah. is like – just fantastic. Yep, I'm with you. And it, it's and, and like stuff like that. You know, Ashley Monroe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I liked Randy Clark as much as you did, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. I mean, it seems that there is a lot of uh, like I, I don't want to frame it as as a competition because it's not. But like, you have indie rock doing this one thing that is 
in a lot of times very repetitive mm-hmm. and there you have to dig so hard to find a lot of the innovation mm-hmm. and then you have uh in country now people are and even i guess you could say alt country like people like jason isbell and mm-hmm. stuff like that are are just going out and writing damn good songs mm-hmm. which is at the end of the day i think mm-hmm. is what it's all about sure like whatever whatever you're gonna make it sound mm-hmm. like you have to make the song good right right and and so you see this crop of people coming up through Nashville that are, like, kicking people's ass. I mean, like, we're, we're talking about Sturgill Simpson. I mean, mm-hmm. that is – I can't imagine liking another album better this year. Yeah. And for, like – I mean, you, you, you've heard it. So yeah, it's right. Like, it's, it's my number one right now. Yeah, it, so it's, it's we'll see, so we'll – um, Kanye West, your move. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm a little older than you, and I, but I, I have a soft spot, uh, soft spot in my heart for uh, – for like seventies sort of like music and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is it's pulling from that and stuff, but doing it not. There's no he didn't do anything to fuss it up, right? Yeah, right. And I think that's important in right. any genre. Is like right. if you land on um, something that's good, let it be good, and then figure out the rest. If you don't feel good about it, figure out why you don't feel good about it. Sure, but you know if if you hear it and you're like, wow, that's good. And you know your producer here says that's good, and then all these people hear it, and that's good. It's probably good. <laughs> I mean, Amen. Amen. It's a it's a pretty easy litmus test for sure. He's um, a, yeah, he's that. But that record, yeah, I agree. It's my it's currently my, my numero uno of the year. Although we're not even we're a quarter way, a third way through the year. Yeah. So we'll see. There's time for someone to come knock him off. There's a challenger coming out that uh, uh, from a band from Texas called Hundred Visions. Okay. But. Uh, I'll see if I can get you a copy. Yeah, let's hear them. Um, but uh, they're very much a similar uh, similar style. I mean, they're they're more in the punk rock, like T-Rex type stuff. Mm. But they, they just write good songs. Cool. I mean, their last album, Permanent Basement, every song was a hit. I will check it out. Like, so. Well, cool. We're in about, uh, I guess, about half hour. Yeah, sure. So thanks for stopping by the basement, man. Yeah, man. Uh, anything pleasure. else you want to talk about? No, whatever. I mean, I'm game, man. I mean... <laughs> I feel like I gotta roll in like 10 or 15 minutes, but if there's anything else you wanna try about, we can do it. Ah, I think that's it. I think just wrap it up. Thanks. No problem, man. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Appreciate it. Hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, one thing to note that uh, that I took away from that interview is that besides being a really cool and a really generous guy, um, like I said, he he, did, he came all the way up here. Uh, Chris is also one of the biggest music lovers that I think I've run into. Uh, he, it makes a whole lot of sense given that that's what his job is, is to literally just talk about music all day. But the guy, you, you can just tell, like a look in his eyes, he, he has a very sincere love for uh, music. He has very sincere love for DC. Um, and, you know, he's, he's found a way to make, uh, just integrate that completely into his life. And so it's actually a pretty cool thing to see and it's sort of a goal, I guess, for everybody else if you're into, if that's your thing. Um, so that is our podcast for this week. If you are in a band or a solo artist or whatever uh, and you are interested in coming on uh, our podcast, you can email us at info at chunkyglasses.com. Uh, just put podcast in the subject line and we'll fil- filter through those. Uh, generally, you know, if you come on a weekend, if you're coming from out of town, we may feed you dinner. Uh, who knows? But uh, we're always open in, uh, to talking to really new people, find out about new bands. And uh, this is honestly one of the most fun things we do. So uh, that's our podcast for this week. We will talk to you next week uh, on Tuesday. Uh, 
finally going to get to talk about the Sturgill Simpson album, so I'm so excited about that. And then I think White Hinterland on Thursday. So we'll see you all next week. Oh.